The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. into the word this morning, and I, I want to get into the word this morning uh, on purpose. Not that we ever don't do it on purpose, but something was spoken last week during the message, and I thought, you know, I, I'd like to move off of that one statement. Now, it was kind of a, an, a statement that wasn't necessary to the message, but yet it was, it was said, and I want to, to build on it. It stood out to me when I went home and was thinking about the, the word and the things that we receive together, and I think that we ought to, uh, to talk about that. I'll bring that up in just a second, but now if you're taking notes, you can jot down a few things. I mean, I like to give you a few things to look forward to in your, your notes, and so here's, here's a few things. If you're inclined to write them down, uh, that's, that's 100% up to you. I, I encourage that. We're going to find out, one, what kind of gift God gives. What kind of gift God gives. That's something we're going to find out. Another thing that we're going to find out is what you need in order to live. What you need in order to live. And it's an interesting thing when we get there. I mean, uh, you, you could be alive physically in your body, but your life could be uh, limited if this isn't a part of your everyday living. Uh, so what you need in order to live, and if that sounds like a riddle, just trust me, when we get there, it's going to make sense. A third thing that we're going to find is what God's gift is. Now remember that first one was what kind of gift he gives. The second or thing is going to be what you need to live. That third thing is going to be what God's gift actually is. Now I want to jump right into the word here. I uh, mentioned before we're going to find out uh, what kind of gift God gives. I want you to turn somewhere in your Bibles, if you have them with you, Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. Now, I'll let you know a couple of things. I mean, uh, they're not necessarily secrets at all. I mean, but there's oftentimes people will ask, uh, hey, will you, will you, you know, send an outline so we can put scriptures on the screen? Because people are visual and they, they want to see them on the screen and and I've never done that, and if one day I decide to do that, it'll just be because something changed. I've never done that because I really like looking up passages of Scripture. I think it's important for us when we come together. I mean, uh, maybe it has something to do with, with my childhood or something like that. I mean, I remember days where uh, you, you would go to Sunday school, and, you know, it was a big deal that you brought your Bible, you know. And, and when you're a kid, you really don't know why that's a big deal. And as you grow up, you begin to appreciate that. I mean, we literally have churches with thousands, tens of thousands of people pouring in and out of them every Sunday, and, and no one's carrying a Bible. It's, this is supposed to be, according to the word, it's your sword. I mean, you're in a war, and this is your sword. And what would you do if we sent a whole bunch of troops over to Afghanistan or Iraq, and none of them were armed? I mean, we would think, well, that's ridiculous. Some leader needs to be fired. You, you, you can't do that, you know. But yet we do that in the church. And I think it's important for us to develop disciplines 
to, to carry our Bible in the church, to look up passages of Scripture, I think it produces good and healthy things. And that's one of the reasons why I don't like putting stuff up on the screen. The other reason is because normally I don't have an outline put together until go time. So it would be hard for me to go to the person in the back and say, uh, hey, we're about to start. Can you type all this stuff up and get it on the screen? So uh, there's two reasons there. But I want you to turn to the book of Matthew. The Gospel of Matthew, we're going to look in chapter 7. Chapter 7, and we're going to begin reading in verse 7. Now remember, when we read the scripture, I mean, it, it, you might not get anything out of this, but I do. I, I don't like to just read it as it sits on the page. I, I like to think about it, and, and I mean, it's going to sound a little childish maybe to you, but just bear with me. I like to pretend. I mean, God gave us an imagination, and it's a wonderful thing. It's, it's something that when it's functioned and operated in, in righteousness and purity is extremely powerful. And it's really powerful, so powerful there's a real reason why our enemy wants to corrupt it and pervert it. But our imagination is powerful, and we can use it in righteousness and, and with purity, and it can do great things. So when I read the Scripture, sometimes I like to imagine I'm there. That I'm sitting there when this was being written down, when this was happening. You know, just to, to picture yourself being part of a crowd that is listening to Jesus Christ speak and, and He's standing and delivering and speaking. And even though there's a large crowd there and you can hear, you know, the sounds of, of children and families, His words somehow are coming through so loud and so clear. It's as if He's talking directly to you. And to just be in that moment and, and maybe even imagine, you know, is it daytime? Is it evening? Am I in the sun? Am I in the shade? You can just put yourself in that moment. And wherever you are in that moment, no matter what you're feeling or are aware of, one thing prevails. And it's the words that Jesus is speaking, transcending every other sense moving from his mouth straight into your heart. And no matter what took place around you, the entire world could split in two, but those words would be the only thing you would be focused on because of the connection that Jesus has made with you. And through that connection, he's saying these words. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one that seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be open. I mean what man is there among you. Who when his son asks him for a loaf of bread would give him a stone. Or if his son were to ask him for a fish. He wouldn't give him a snake would he? So then if you, all of you, all of you people gathered here, if all of you people being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask Him? I mentioned we were going to find out what kind of gift God gives. According to the words of Jesus, He gives a good gift. A good gift. Now, last week when we were speaking, the message was on repentance or 
bringing repentance into the church, repenting, all of those things, the, the subject matter was repentance. And a comment was made somewhere in the message, what, I'm not sure what context provoked it, but it was about uh, the church, the congregation, this congregation. You know, as the pastor of this congregation, I'm often asked, uh, most of the time, uh, people don't ask until they find out that uh, I'm a pastor. Recently, I was working around a group of men, and this group of men was a, a rough group of men and, and in their verbiage and in how they spoke and how they treated each other. But there was such a kindness and, and a brotherhood between them. It, it was enjoyable to work around them. And then somebody, and I kind of was frustrated that it happened, somebody told them that I'm a pastor. And I wanted to pull that someone aside and say, don't ever tell anyone that, please. Just don't. And I thought, you know, I'll just trust that God is in charge of that guy's mouth as much as he can be in charge of my mouth. So I'm not going to worry about it. But what's funny is once people find out that I'm a pastor, it changes everything, you know. All of a sudden, the conversation's totally different. I mean, the way they talk's totally different. And, and it becomes, really, it becomes fake is what it becomes. You know, I stood out in my front yard once, and a guy from the water department was out there every other word was so foul but he liked me because I stood there and talked to him and and I don't know something just clicked and so finally he kind of quit talking about his own life and himself and he looked up and said so what do you do I said well at the time it was my only vocation that's not the case now but at the time it was my only vocation I said well I I uh I work at a church The first thing, every time, oh, oh, well, I go to church over at wherever, 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 you know. But it changes things, and that, that's always kind of a frustration. But people will ask oftentimes, well, what kind of church is that? Most of the time, their first question is, well, where is that? And here, you could tell them 7474 Buffalo Gap Road, and they would be like, well, where is that? And then you end up saying, well, you know where that White House is? And they're like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. They'll ask, well, what kind of church is it? And that's kind of an interesting question. I mean, you ought to think about that. What kind of church are we? What kind of church are we? I mean, I grew up in, in church, uh, churches. It was actually a church. I, I was very blessed to kind of grow up in one church. We never moved, and, and we didn't change churches, you know. And that church, I, I would describe it as a, a charismatic church. Uh, it would have been, by definition, a, a non-denominational or interdenominational church. And, and that was really the comment last week. You know, what kind of church are we? Well, I can tell you what I want to be as, as a group of believers, as a congregation. You know, I mean, if my role here is, is pastor and I'm leading us in a direction or I'm, I'm seeking God as to what we need to move in a direction, the direction that I want to go, I would like for Champions Church to be a spirit-filled church. Now, the only way you can be a spirit-filled church is to have a congregation of spirit-filled believers. Because you don't just decide, we're going to be a spirit-filled church, so we put it on our sign, and therefore, we're Holy Ghost. It's not how it works. I mean, a spirit-filled church is filled with spirit-filled believers, so that's why I want to talk about this today. Because that's really going to be up to us. Are we a spirit-filled church or not? It's up to us. It's up to you. It's up to me. 
So Jesus is speaking here and he's talking about God giving a good gift. That's the kind of gifts that God gives. And he tells us how to get those gifts. And as he's telling us how to get those gifts, he's revealing things to us that are important and necessary in our lives to function and operate as God has designed or called us to. And I want to make sure that these things exist in our lives because we're going to see here as we get into the word that this is absolutely necessary in order for us to be a spirit-filled church. In order for Champions Church to be a congregation filled with spirit-filled believers, we're going to have to understand everything about what Jesus just said there when he said, ask and it'll be given. Seek and you'll find and knock and it will be open to you. So I want to talk quickly about asking. Asking. Now when I think about prayer, asking is, is something that causes my brain to kind of freeze up a little bit. Mainly because there's a scripture that I remember that it, it's, it's, it's right up in the front. and it's, it's kind of permanently branded there. Because for a long time, I, I, I wanted my, my prayer life to be uh, accurate. And, and, and I wanted to do it just like the scripture told me to. And so this scripture really stood out as something that I needed to understand. And it's this. You'll find it in Matthew chapter 6, verse 8. It, it was, your father knows what you need before you ask him. Your, your father knows what you need before you ask him. Well, I misinterpreted that for a long time, and I just thought, don't ask God for stuff because he already knows what you need. That's kind of how I interpreted it, and, and that was to my loss, actually. It was a bad interpretation. But, but I've seen other things because how is it that the word would tell me not to ask and then it would tell me to ask? I mean, that's kind of a contradiction, isn't it? So when that word is saying what it's saying there, your father knows what you need before you ask him, it's revealing something. It's revealing that asking in our prayer life isn't so that God will become aware of our need. We're not informing him of our situation. Hey, it's getting kind of rough down here. I don't know if you're on break or what, but you, you know, if you take a, take a minute and look down here, I think you're going to be you know, pretty shocked. That's not what's going on. When we're called to ask God for things, it's not so that we can inform Him of our need or inform Him of our situation. In fact, asking God for things is for our benefit. I'll explain why. I mean, He already knows what you need. He already knows your situation, but yet the Word instructs us, the Word commands us to ask. I mean, Jesus opened as he's talking about the good gifts that God gives, the good gift that God gives. He speaks and he says, step one is ask. Step one is ask. Now remember, we've established this isn't for God's benefit because he knows what you need. It's for your benefit. Asking does something. And we've got some... some parents in the room, you know, you've raised kids, and I'm sure you've had those moments around the dinner table where you've talked about the difference between, hey, give me that, and will you please pass that, right? There's a big difference, right? Hey, give me that. I want some of that. Give me that. Or, hey, excuse me, would you please pass the... There's a huge difference, and just think, just let the wheels turn for a second. What's the difference? I mean, one is a demand, and the other is a request, 
A demand is from a position of entitlement. This is, is owed to me. You have no say in this. In fact, you're withholding it from me. Now quit withholding it from me and give me. But the request is not entitlement. It's over there. You don't owe it to me. But I am surrendering to you. Will you please? Will you please pass me that? When we ask God, we are positioning our heart to receive because we are functioning in humility. It's impossible to ask God for something and it not position you in the point of not being able to achieve on your own. When we ask, we are positioning ourselves to receive because it is humbling our heart. It is putting you in a position to receive from God. I want to give you a passage of scripture here for your notes. James chapter 4 verse 6. God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. When we're willing to ask, when we stop making demands and start offering up requests, we're positioned to receive and receive what? According to James, grace. But not just grace, the grace that God gives. When we ask, we position ourselves to receive what God gives. He gives grace to the humble. So as Jesus is talking about this wonderful gift that God gives, He's revealing to us it starts with asking. There can't be any entitlement in your heart. There has to be a humility where you are making a request. It starts with asking. Now, there's a little bit of opposition in our lives as it concerns asking. There are things that can get in the way that prevent us from asking. I want to look at some of those things so that we can be aware if these things are found in our lives, we need to get them out. Now, the first obstacle here to asking is, is going to be pride. Now, we could spend our entire time this morning talking about pride. But if someone refuses to put themselves under another's decision-making ability or under another's empowerment in any way, they're never going to receive. If we refuse to position ourselves beneath God's provision, we'll never receive from Him. I want to give you a passage of Scripture here that's really profoundly simple. But yet it's extremely powerful. James chapter 4 verse 2. James chapter 4 verse 2, it reads like this. You don't have... Because, will you say because? because? Yeah, here comes the reason why you don't have. You don't have because you don't ask. And once we understand asking, we understand what that means. You don't have because you won't surrender to the outpouring of God. You won't surrender to His authority, to, to the, the timing that He has, to His ways, His methods. You don't have because you won't humble your heart to His terms. If we find ourselves as believers making demands on God and not offering requests, we shouldn't be surprised when we don't get anything. And I got to say, I've seen that a lot. I used to think that bold prayers were, were, were sounded a certain way, and one day I realized it sounds like I'm kind of chewing God out. 
Like I'm telling him what he needs to do and what he should do and, 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 and how it should be done. And all of this was, was labeled boldness and, and it, was, it was even seen as something that was desirable. And I realized this is really, really backwards. Making demands on God is not going to be a productive way to get anything from him. We ought to humble our hearts and make requests. And there's a big difference between demands and requests, but yet the vocabulary can be subtle. But I think that you're a room filled, uh, this room is filled with really smart people. Just put a little thought into that. What is the difference between that demand and that request? I mean, when you're raising children, there's one word that makes all the difference. One word. You know what word I'm thinking of, don't you? Not please. Please. And you train your children in such a way that please becomes a part of their vocabulary because if you can get please in their vocabulary, you can soften their heart to make requests and not demands. Another obstacle to asking is unbelief. Unbelief. I'll give you a passage of scripture a couple of passages actually before we move forward. Matthew chapter 21 verse 22. Jesus is speaking and he says, all things that you ask in prayer believing you'll receive. Belief is an important part of that. James chapter 1 verses 6 through 8. It reads like this. When we ask, we need to ask in faith without doubting. For the one that doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. That man ought not to expect that he'll receive anything from God, being double-minded and unstable in all of his ways. That last part always stands out to me every time that passage comes up. Because I would think that a double-minded man would be stable half the time. Right? Like, well, I got good days and bad days. There's some days where, man, I'm a rocking, Holy Ghost-filled Christian, and then other days, uh, we're getting there. But I love this. There's no room for that halfway. A double-minded person is unstable in all of their ways. How many of their ways? All. All of them. We need to be committed to being singular in thought. Coming to a place where we understand that God has called us as his sons and daughters and that he's made available to us every aspect of his kingdom to bring his will into existence. And when we can wrap our mind around that, there's very little room to wiggle back and forth, to be tossed about by the waves, no matter how hard they crash or how loud they roar. Another obstacle to asking is sin. And we say sin generically, you know. I mean, almost like here in Texas, someone could say, uh, hey, you want a Coke? You know, and you'd be like, yeah. And then the next thing was, well, what kind? You know, oh, 7-Up or Dr. Pepper, you know. Just a Coke now is all soda pop. So sin has become kind of like that. It's just generic sin. But the Bible talks about different types of sin. It talks about one just being sin, like an error, Missing the mark. I mean, you can sin and really not know that you did it until it comes to your attention. I mean, it, it's, that's what sin is. And then there's transgression, and transgression is rebellion. It's you knew better, and you did it anyway. You did what you wanted to do. 
That's transgression. And then there's iniquity. And iniquity is when that rebellion has become a lifestyle. It's not just a a one-time choice to rebel or an occasional choice to rebel, but it has become a lifestyle. Iniquities involve things like addictions and bondages and things like that. And iniquities, uh, it's frightening to think of this, can be passed on generationally. So you see that that sin is being used generically here, but when we read a couple of passages, you're going to hear a word like iniquity, and you're going to hear a word like wickedness. Wickedness would definitely involve transgression of some kind. Because if I sinned against you and I didn't realize I did it, that's hardly wicked. It would be the same as if we're standing in line and I accidentally stepped on the heel of your shoe. I didn't mean to do it, but it happened and it needs to be made right. But wickedness is when you know it's wrong and you do it anyway. So here's a couple passages of scripture. Psalm 66 verse 18. If, I want you to say if, it's important. If, yes, if. If is introducing condition here. If I regard wickedness in my heart, if I make a place for wickedness in my heart, if I make a place for that known and understood sin, but I'm going to do it anyway because it makes me feel good and it's what I want, if I make a place for that in my heart, then the Lord will not hear me. It's going to be tough to ask Him anything if He's not hearing what you're asking, isn't it? That would be a real hindrance to asking God, which is step one to getting this wonderful gift. I want to give you another passage of Scripture. Uh, Let's look at Isaiah chapter 59, verse 2. It reads like this, Your iniquities, that's that lifestyle now. It's become so normal in my life. It's a part of who I am. It's my lifestyle. Your iniquities have made a separation between you and God. And your sin has hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Once again, it's going to be really tough to ask if there's no one listening. Another obstacle to asking here would be any form of entitlement, feeling that you deserve it. It's going to be very difficult, if not absolutely impossible, to ask, to submit a request. If you feel entitled. Those who are entitled don't submit requests. They make demands. And it's going to make sense that you're going to see something throughout the scripture. Throughout the New Testament. Throughout the gospels. You'll hear Jesus saying in a very common way. Something over and over and over again. And this morning could be a morning for some of us. Or even all of us. Where there's an aha moment. Like wow. So that's why he's saying that. I'm going to give you one Instance where Jesus is using this vocabulary. John chapter 14, verses 13 and 14. Jesus says, whatever you ask in my name, that will I do. So that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if you ask me anything in my name, I'll do it. Do you realize if you're asking for these things in his name, you're not asking for them in your name? When we ask for these things in the name of Jesus, we are removing all entitlement from ourself because it's Him that's worthy. It's Him that deserves. It's Him that is perfect in every aspect to the point of being sinless, and that's why death had no grip on Him. 
You know, we write songs and we say things, and I have no problem with the statements of Jesus conquering the grave and defeating the grave and all those things. I think that those are statements that ought to be proclaimed. But here's the reality. Death had no claim on him at all. It's not that he and death got in a wrestling match and he came out on top. Death had no claim on him at all. Where there's no sin, there's no death. When we ask in his name, we're not asking in our name. John chapter 16, verses 23 and 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, if you ask the Father for anything in my name, he'll give it to you so that. I want to hear a so that. Yeah, so that. Here's why. This is so cool. I mean, this is really exciting to me. I mean, the reason why Jesus is saying, I want you to use my name when you go to the Father. Ask him for things in my name. Not because you're entitled, but because I'm the one that's worthy. Use my name when you go to him, and he'll give you things so that. Here's why. So that your joy may be made full. Jesus wants you joyful. He wants me joyful. What a great so that. We need to be a people willing to ask. Remember, if we're ever going to function and operate and exist as a spirit-filled congregation, we're going to have to catch what Jesus is saying, and it starts with asking. We've got to purge any entitlement that we have for ourselves out of our lives and understand that Jesus is the only way. We need to come to a point where we can humble our hearts and not make demands on God and call it boldness, but make requests. We've got to function with a humble heart. That second step to receiving from God is seeking. Remember, he said, ask and it will be open and seek and you'll find. Seeking is an interesting thing to consider. Seeking is going to require a person to move from where they're at. Now, if we were deciding to have some sort of a marriage conference or seminar here and my wife were given the opportunity to, to share some of the things that really bother her about me, we, first of all, we would need to break for lunch probably and then come back for a couple of hours but one of these, this, and I'm really bad about this, okay? And I know, I get it. I have a real hard time finding things. And I'll even ask her sometimes, you know, hey, have you seen my, you know, shoes, my socks? Fill in the blank. It could be anything. Have you seen my toothbrush? I mean, it could be something that, you know, who knows? And what's really funny is her, her question, her next question. Her next question, well, I know what you're thinking, and that's not it. Her, this is how bad it's gotten. Her next question is, did you look? I know, what, I mean, what I heard here, did I hear you right? Where was the last place you saw it? Yeah, I hate that. Don't tell me that. If I knew where the last place I saw it was, I'd know where it's at, you know. But did you look is what she says. I've started to notice that that's it. It's like, hey, honey, have you seen my, did you look? And, and you know what, I have to pause for a second and think, well, I'm about to, as soon as you tell me where to, how lazy is that? God forgive me. 
But seeking re- requires going on the hunt, right? I mean, we, we, we play games as children and with children, hide and seek, you know? It, it's no fun if you're playing hide and seek with someone that doesn't seek. You can be hiding for a long time. As a parent, I actually did that a couple of times. It was good for some quiet moments in the house, you know. She did that to you, huh? Confession Sunday, Champions Church. But you gotta, you got to move. You can't stay in that one place where you're at. If it was there with you there in that place, you wouldn't have to seek for it because you would have it. And Jesus is telling us first, you've got to get your heart right. Ask, ask, ask. Then seek. Get ready for your life to look different than it looks right now. Don't think that the things that you're longing to see in your life are just going to pour into your current situation or circumstance because that's what God is trying to shake you out of. So that the things that you're now content with, the things that now bring you security and comfort don't continue to because there's only room for one. You can only have one king. So get ready to seek, and that's going to mean getting up from where you're comfortable, getting up from where you're at, and moving. I mentioned before we're going to find out what you need in order to live. What you need in order to live. I want to give you a passage of scripture here. Amos. How many of you think cookies when I say that? Did you really? I totally do. And you know, we used to have them here, the little bags of them. Best way to eat those, you take two bags, you pour them in a cup, you fill it with milk, and you better eat fast because those things get soggy quick. Man, change your life. Amos chapter 5 verse 4, it reads like this. For this is what God says. Seek me that you may live. Seek me that you may live. I mean, what an incredibly simple but profound passage of Scripture. And I can tell you as as a, a, a pastor or just as a Christian trying to help other believers, I've seen people desire to see God do things in their life, needing to see God move where, where things were dying or suffering, you know, marriages were falling apart, households were falling apart, uh, businesses were falling apart. I need to see God move. I need my miracle. But unwilling to change a thing. unwilling to change a thing. I want God to come and do it on my terms, in my place. I'd like for it to be convenient. What time does church start? Do you have anything later than that? That's a little early. Oh, that's Wednesday night? Well, uh, I don't know that, you know, I come on Sunday and that might be tough. No offense if you don't come on Wednesday, but you should come. We have a good time. The point is, is that we try to make God convenient and fit into our lives. I'm guilty of that. I remember living in Fort Worth where I chose to go to a Saturday night church service. And one day, I swear to you, I said this, to get church out of the way. I didn't feel good after it came out of my mouth, but that was the truth. It's like, hey, let's go on Saturday and get that out of the way. My God. Seeking is not going to be convenient. It's going to require you to move from where you're at, always. But seeking has wonderful promises. I mean, seek me that you may live. Isn't that cool that it doesn't say find me that you may live? I mean, that's what most false religions do require. You know, you're going to have to find enlightenment to live. So you spend your whole life struggling. I met a woman one time 
she was actually working at a restaurant. She served me my food. She had a strange tattoo. It was obviously Buddhist. And I, I just said, hey, uh, uh, that's an interesting tattoo. And she said, yeah, I'm a Buddhist, but I'm not a very good one. And I thought, well, you should try Jesus. <laughs> so <clears throat> here's a passage of Scripture. Psalm 34, verse 10. I mean, you guys ever watch... Uh, you know, the, the BBC shows on, on nature, you know, the planet Earth. Now they have so many of them where you watch these animals and they're, they're all just slow motion shots of lions attacking giraffes and you're cheering for the giraffe, but then you're kind of like, well, lions got to eat, you know. So you're torn, you go back and forth. Listen to this passage of Scripture, Psalm 34, verse 10. Young lions do lack and suffer hunger. And you've got to think about this. I mean, the, the, the psalmist here is trying to paint a picture here of the most powerful, prolific hunter that he can think of. You know, this thing's got speed, agility, power. It's got the, the, the claws and the teeth to bring down anything. But even that thing that's been designed to hunt down and kill everything on the plains, even that thing's going to go hungry. But, here comes the but. But they who seek the Lord shall not be in want of any good thing. Again, not those that find the Lord, those that seek Him. I mean, isn't that helpful and nice to know that all I need to do is make an effort to get up from where I'm at and go to where He's at and He is going to satisfy me. He'll lead me. He'll guide me. He'll provide for me. I mean, there are times in my household where we'll be dealing with things. Some of those things are relational. Some of those things are financial. Some of those things are whatever. And my response will be, we just need to get up and move. Now, I don't mean move homes or anything like that. I mean, it, we've got to just move out from this place. There have been times where there's been conflict and strife, and I've literally asked, can we change rooms? Can we just leave this room and go into there? We'll just change the atmosphere. Let's just change the atmosphere and, and relocate here. And it might sound silly, but that little effort to seek peace makes a big difference. And what God's saying here is if you will seek me, if you'll make an effort to move from where you're at to where I'm calling you to be, you won't be dissatisfied. So then there's this question, you know, I mean, how do you do that? What can you do to do that? How do you seek God? I mean, is there a method? Is there a system? Is there a step or a process? And I want to offer a passage of scripture to you. Now, you ought to read this chapter in your own time. But I want to just give you a passage of scripture. It comes from the book of Daniel. Daniel is an exceptional example. I mean, a phenomenal example of how each of us is called to live. And he says something in chapter 9, verse 3, that I want us to, to pay attention to because I think he's giving us an instruction on how to seek God. It just reads like this, okay? So I'm going to read this simple passage. It might not have a lot of context, but we're going to find something in it, and I think you're going to see it really quickly. Daniel says this. He said, So I gave my attention to the Lord God to seek Him by prayer and supplication, fasting, Humility. There's something there that he's revealing to us. In order for us to seek God, we need to give him our attention. I mean, that's what it is. It's really simple, isn't it? So I gave my attention to God in order to seek him. 
So I gave my attention to God in order to seek Him. So I gave my attention to God in order to seek Him. Seeking God so that we can live. Seeking God so that we can respond to the call of what we need to do in order to receive His good gift, in order for us to function and operate as Spirit-filled believers. Seeking God is important. And what it's going to require is, I need to give God my attention. I need to give Him my attention. So there's obstacles to seeking God. I want to give you some scriptures, and I want to read through them uh, quickly. Uh, One would be Psalm 10, verse 4. It says, the wicked in their haughtiness or their pride, they don't seek God. All that they say is there is no God. You notice that they don't seek Him. Those that don't believe God exists don't seek Him. Now that tells me something here, and, and I like to run passages of scripture forward and backwards. Now, don't take this personally, please, but do take it seriously. Those who are wicked, who don't seek God, say there is no God. It's concerning to me that when we read it forward, we have to put ourselves in the position of of being wicked in order for that to be us. But what if the result of wickedness exists in us? If we run it backwards and we just simply say, you know, Those that don't seek God say there is no God and are wicked. If you run it backwards, it's revealing of a problem. When we don't seek God, we are functioning in a wickedness that denies His existence, that denies His power, His authority. We are not functioning and operating as a group of people who truly celebrate that He is near, that He is able, that He is willing, that He's made a way. We need to seek God. We need to give him our attention. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 says that without faith it's impossible to please him. The one that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. We read that passage of scripture and oftentimes it's the foundation for our messages preached on faith or our conversations about faith or ministering to others about faith. I think that faith is a major piece of that passage of Scripture. But I think that seeking God is actually at the foundation of it. Another obstacle to seeking God is going to be an unwillingness to change. Remember, you've got to be willing to move. If you want to write it down the way I would write it down, it would be unrepentant. We talked about repentance last week. Repent means change. If we're unrepentant, it's going to be a a major obstacle to seeking God. We're going to want to do it our way. We're not changing. God, you're either going to get on board with us or we're just going to move on without you. We need to be willing to change. Father, I'm willing to change anything about my life. You show me what needs to be changed and we will do everything in our power to change it. By your grace, we'll forever be changed and be in the midst of your will seeking you. Daniel chapter 9, verse 13, it reads like this. Again, you're not going to catch the context, but you are going to get the point. All of this trouble, the word that's used there is calamity. We don't really use that word. So just think of trouble. I mean, how many of you can relate to trouble? Yeah, I've known some trouble, right? You've got problems and things that you're dealing with. All of these problems, all of this trouble has come on us, yet we have not sought the favor of God by turning from our sin and giving attention to Him. 
If we refuse to turn from our sin and give attention to God, we're going to continue to have that trouble. If we refuse to seek God, it's going to be very problematic. So remember, we're on this journey. We want to become a spirit-filled people, to be a spirit-filled church. Jesus is saying God gives us a great gift. And it's going to require us to take on these understandings, this mentality, this lifestyle of asking to have a humble heart, seeking, being willing to move from our ways to God's ways. And then he gives this last instruction, and that is to knock. To knock. He said, ask and it will be given. Seek and you'll find and knock and it will be open to you. I mean, it's... Really kind of a a simple thing when you think about it. But that's kind of the problem because oftentimes we don't think about it. I mean, it's going to sound a little elementary, but how many of you have ever knocked on a door? I mean, it's easy, right? Yeah, we do that all the time. When you go to a door and you knock on it, you approach it, You're right where you need to be. You're right in position. You make your presence known. And then what? Maybe. (laughs) You hope so. You wait. Who said wait over here? There you go. You wait. Unless you're my children. You wait. Isn't it funny that Jesus would be talking to us about how to receive this wonderful gift from God and he would say, hey, listen, here's what it takes first. You've got to humble your heart. There can be no uh, uh, self-entitlement in you. I mean, God knows you need it, but you need to come to him humbling yourself in order to receive. It's, it's, it, that's necessary. That's step one. And then seeking. You've got to be willing to move from where you're at to where he's calling you to be. If you're going to keep your feet planted in one place and require God to do these things on your terms, you're going to be dissatisfied. But if you'll move, if you'll seek after his terms, I promise you, you will be satisfied. And then this last thing, I just think this last thing is amazing that he would say, knock and it will be open to you. I mean, will you just say it will be? Yeah, it will be. So if I know that this door will open, I'm standing here, I'm right where I'm supposed to be, I'm in position, and I'm knocking, and I know that it will be open. The question is, can I wait? Am I willing to wait? You want to know something that's amazing to me? The... the, The book of Acts, chapter 2, you see the outpouring of the Holy Ghost and and you see these wonderful things, the tongues of fire and and the speaking in tongues and the rushing wind and all all of this, this scene. A lot of people missed out on being in that upper room because they refused to wait. There were masses and multitudes that followed Jesus. There there were masses and multitudes that were around upon the instruction, go to Jerusalem and wait for power. And then you have a room that has a handful of people who are willing to be in position. We're not going to do what we want. We're going to do what you want. We're willing to relocate. Who were humbling their hearts in prayer, seeking after what God had instructed them to seek after. They were located in the right spot, and then they were willing to wait and knock. 
We've got to be able to wait for God's timing in every matter. I want to give you a couple passages of Scripture. Psalm 25, verse 3. It reads like this, indeed, none of those who wait for God will ever be ashamed. Man, I, sign me up for that group. Come on. Psalm 25, verse 3, indeed, none of those who wait for you will be ashamed. Psalm 147, verse 11, the Lord favors those who fear Him, those who wait for His loving kindness. Do you realize you're getting a, an instruction there in how to function and operate in the favor of God? That's really what that is. The Lord favors those who fear Him, those who wait for His loving kindness. Run it backwards. Those who wait for the loving kindness of God are those who fear Him and receive His favor. Now there's obstacles here to knocking. And this one probably is going to touch most people's lives. The first obstacle is going to be impatient. We just don't like to wait. I mean, we want to... We, hey, I heard about the Holy Ghost and I heard this guy's in town, so I'm going to go to that service, get prayed for, bang, everything's going to be different, and then I'll be back to my life in no time. I mean, it's almost like ordering something on Amazon, right? It's crazy. But God's calling us, He's giving us instruction hey, get your heart in the position to receive by, by being willing to ask. Seek, meaning leave the things that I call you to leave and position yourself where I call you to be positioned and then wait. Wait. Wait and keep knocking until that door is open because I promise you it will be open. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 12 addresses patience or the lack of patience. Hebrews chapter 6 is talking about people throughout the scripture that have received great things from God, received good gifts from God. And this passage here in verse 12 is an instruction to us to imitate those people. Imitate those people who received good things from God. And then it says how they received those good things. Imitate those who through faith and patience Inherit the promise. Faith and patience. Man, we will preach faith till the cows come home. We don't like to discuss patience because patience is really, really hard. You mean I'm going to have to wait for God to do something? He doesn't have two-day delivery? Another obstacle of, of knocking is going to be self-promotion. You've got to just think about this for a second. I'll give you a passage of Scripture, Matthew 23, verse 12. It says, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. There's something there that we need to catch. When we're knocking, we are not intended to kick open the door. Rather, we're meant to stand and wait for that door to be opened to us. If we decide to seize things in our timing, we're not waiting on God's timing, and it's going to lead to a, a destructive situation. Another obstacle here is going to be not knowing God. Not knowing who He is or His heart for you. It's extremely hard for people to receive from God. It's hard for me to humble my heart if I don't know that He's gracious. That He's not taking on as a taskmaster new slaves but that he's opening his home as a good father to sons and daughters. It's going to be hard for me to receive from him 
and to seek after him if I don't think that he's leading me to a place that has my best interest in mind, a place that has life and a place that has prosperity and a place that has health. It's going to be very hard for me to follow after his lead if I don't know his heart for me. And it's going to be impossible for me to wait on him until I know that he loves me, that he will open that door. And even if I have to wait every moment of my life and in my dying moment that door comes open, it would have been a life well lived. First Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7 say this. Humble yourself under God's hand that he may exalt you in the proper time. And then I like this part. Casting all of your anxiety upon him. That's hard for some of us to do because we don't understand the part that comes next. Casting all of your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. When we can come into the understanding that God cares for me, it becomes easier for us to hand off all of our garbage to him. This won't be used against me to destroy me. I won't be belittled or shamed. But I know that he cares for me and he's doing great things in my life. And I'm going to hand him these burdens and wait for him to open the door in his time. Now, I told you before that our desire is to be a spirit-filled church that we're going to have to embrace asking and seeking and knocking. And I want you to understand why we're going to have to embrace that because that good gift that God gives is the Holy Spirit. If you have your Bibles there, open them to Luke chapter 11. The Gospel of Luke chapter 11. When you see Luke chapter 11, beginning around verse 9, you're going to see the same thing that we read earlier as we opened up the message. The same thing that we read from Matthew. Jesus saying, I say to you, seek, ask and it'll be given to you, and seek and you'll find, and knock and it'll be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it'll be opened. Now suppose one of you fathers has a son and he asks him for a fish. We wouldn't give him a snake instead, would he? Or if he asks him for an egg, would he give him a, a stone or a scorpion? And then verse 13, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? I want us to be a, a spirit-filled congregation. That's going to mean being a, a congregation of spirit-filled believers. And I don't think that that's having in a special evangelist or a special apostle to come and do certain things. I think those things are great and I think things happen. But I think what it's going to require is for a congregation to say, I see what Jesus is saying and I'm committed to that. I'm going to be a believer who was willing to ask who is given to seek, and who is able to knock. 
I'm going to be a believer who can humble my heart and stop making demands on God and start making requests. I'm going to be a believer who, when God says, you need to leave that behind, son, that's childish and carnal. It is not productive to your life as my child. Leave it behind and come to where I'm leading you that we're able to say, yes, Father. Leave it behind and move into mature things. And then to be a son and a daughter, to be a people who are willing to knock and say, I know that this is your promise. It's not up to my pastor to to fulfill it, my small group to fulfill it. It's not up to this latest book to fulfill it. But Father, I know I will position myself where you've called me to be and I will knock. And I will wait for you to open that door. And let your good gift be bestowed upon me that I might walk in the ways that you've called me to walk. I know that you have given this to me and I wait to receive. I think when we become a people who are willing to ask, who are given to seeking after God and who who are able to stand and wait patiently, we'll see a congregation that will be spirit-filled. Because it's God's to do it. It's not about signing up for the right church. It's about living our life the right way. And I want us to be given to those things. I'd like for this word to alter how we see things, how we function, how we operate, how we pray. And I would love for it to have a profound effect on us as a group of believers. Where we don't just belong to a charismatic church, a church that believes in the things that are in the Bible but we become a people who live the things that are in the Bible. A spirit-filled church, a congregation filled with, with believers that are baptized in the Holy Ghost. And Jesus tells us how. Holy Ghost is God's good gift. His willingness to give it is obvious. Our willingness to receive it, to ask and to seek and to knock, is what he's developing even here and now. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at Church.